My name is Erin Kenny. I am a registered dietitian, holistic cannabis practitioner, and master of nutrition science. Welcome to my podcast, Nutrition Rewired, where I share cutting-edge, practical advice to improve your health and debunk myths to help you rewire the way you think about nutrition and wellness. By listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you are treating. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. In today's solo episode, I'm going to be talking all about gastritis, which is quite common. If you have never heard about it, it's because most people don't really talk about gastritis. They might not even know that they have it. They may have been diagnosed with heartburn or IBS, when in reality, they could have underlying acute or chronic gastritis, which is very serious and can greatly impact your quality of life. But today we're going to learn about the long-term consequences of gastritis. We're going to learn about the root causes, things like NSAID use, stress. We're going to talk about dietary stuff. And then we're going to talk about conventional treatment for gastritis versus what we do in our practice at Nutrition Rewired to support patients who have gastritis. So let's start off with the most common root causes of gastritis that I see in my practice. The number one common root cause of gastritis is a very popular, and I say popular meaning it's present in a very large majority of my patients who do stool testing with me, is this bacteria overgrowth called H. pylori or Helicobacter pylori. And this is a type of bacteria that basically can maintain itself in your gut environment at normal healthy amounts and cause no issues. However, there are certain people that this bacteria is overgrown or they are individuals in particular where this bacteria does create some trouble in their intestines. So H. pylori, it can exist. It's not necessarily always a bad thing showing up on a stool test, but when H. pylori overgrows, or if you have what we call virulence factors or family history of stomach cancer, that's when we're very concerned about H. pylori. But this bacteria can be nasty, and so we want to get rid of this if the patient has symptoms of reflux, gastritis, you name it. Now, a point that I want to add to this is that I've had patients come to me who have symptoms of gastritis or acid reflux, and they've done a breath test for H. pylori, and it's come back negative. So when I mention it, they say, nope, I already did that, came back negative. And then we do a stool test, and H. pylori actually shows up in a stool test. So just good to know that the breath test alone may not be enough to tell you what's going on in the gut. The second root cause is the long-term use of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. NSAIDs. So things like aspirin, ibuprofen, and according to the American Gastroenterological Association, more than 30 million Americans use NSAIDs on any given day. And I used to be one of those Americans. Now, it's so common to have an ache or a pain, maybe it's chronic, and to think that, you know, popping these NSAIDs to relieve that pain is very normal. I see this in a lot of women who have really heavy periods or painful periods. They're popping these things like candy. I had a client who was taking them every 
four hours for seven days a month, every month to manage her period pain. And luckily we have been able to address the root cause of her period pain um, and temporarily use natural remedies, which we'll talk about. So the reason that NSAIDs are such a problem for the gut is that they can impair the gut mucus lining in our digestive tract. And this can cause what's called leaky gut. And when you have leaky gut, what's known as intestinal permeability, where the gut is more permeable to things that should stay in the gut, things moving outside the gut, this allows for harmful and inflammatory bacteria and toxins to enter our digestive tract. So obviously that's not good, destroying that protective layer. And in addition to that, that can make you more prone to certain diseases. So in terms of natural remedies for pain, a lot of the things that we might use temporarily while we're working on root cause, or if you need management long-term is things like omega-3 fats, curcumin, you know, these are natural ways to inhibit certain pro-inflammatory molecules. The other root cause of gastritis excess alcohol consumption. Alcohol is a toxin. It's very harsh on the gut lining. So we want to remove alcohol, especially in a gastritis situation. Having dysbiosis in the gut is another root cause. If you have imbalances in the bacteria in the gut, this puts you at higher risk for immune dysfunction, inflammation. Acromancia, for example, is a type of bacteria in the gut that's a mucus degrader. It's really important for keeping a healthy balance of mucus in the gut. So we want to make sure that the gut bacterial balance is optimal. In addition to that, if you have things like SIBO or Candida, or we mentioned H. pylori, these types of overgrowth, things like parasites, they can really cause inflammation in the gut, especially if they go on long-term unresolved. Viral infections, another root cause of gastritis. This can be acute, or if you have long-term viral illness, looking at things like SARS-CoV-2 virus, there's potential that those types of long viral infections can cause gastritis. Excess coffee or caffeine consumption. I did a talk to U14 hockey girls two weeks ago, and I was just blown away at how many energy drinks young kids are consuming. It's a little scary to me. So we really want to be mindful of caffeine intake and our relationship with caffeine overall. Chronic stress is another big root cause of Honestly, every digestive issue, this comes up so often in my group coaching program. They're probably so sick of hearing me like a broken record, but I tell them every week, chronic stress disrupts every system of your body, including your immune system, your mucosal lining, your hormones, you name it. So, so chronic stress can impact the body's ability to properly regulate the immune system, and this may contribute to the development or exacerbation of gastritis. There's certain conditions that are associated with gastritis. So we're not saying that gastritis caused these different diagnoses, but we, we often see an association because there's usually a layer of inflammation going on with these types of diseases. So things like Crohn's disease, celiac, um, sarcoidosis, parasitic infections, autoimmune disease, right? There's, there's always some level of imbalances going on and in inflammation in the body. So we might see those commonly associated. 
So what are the symptoms of gastritis? Like, how would you know if you had gastritis? What are some things that you might want to bring up to your doctor if you're looking for them to be screening properly? So a very common symptom is the abdominal pain, both upper abdomen and possibly like a lower chest pain that may be worse or better with or without eating. Having pain, like radiating pain in your upper back can be another sign of gastritis. Um, This one is always super interesting when I tell clients they're always floored to understand how back pain can actually be related to our digestive system. You know, if you have chronic bloating or diarrhea, constipation, right? We've got all these muscles in our pelvic floor. And so if those muscles become weak or they're chronically activated, you know, you have to think about how the musculature of our systems are all related. But end tangent, pain radiating in the upper back can be a symptom of gastritis. Burping and belching, bloating, nausea, lack of appetite, which can lead to weight loss, um, feeling really tired, maybe even vomiting. And in more severe cases, patients may even experience blood in the stool or vomit, which would, of course, indicate some potential complications. Then there's patients who don't have any symptoms. So they might go in, you know, just looking for routine labs, uh, maybe testing for celiac, and their results come back and they're slapped with a diagnosis of gastritis. So now that we know what the symptoms are, why should we care? Especially, for example, that patient who really wasn't experiencing symptoms. She was just going in for, you know, a completely different diagnosis, potentially, of something like celiac disease. Why should you care? Long-term inflammation in the stomach can be incredibly detrimental for many reasons. Number one is that it can increase your risk for gastric cancer. And the reason for this is because it can alter the cells in our stomach lining making them more prone to become cancerous cells. In addition to that, over time, the stomach lining can actually atrophy or wear away. And this is just as bad as too much acid. You know, we we actually look at the symptoms of low stomach acid and high stomach acid, and you see a lot of crossover. There are some patients who have gastritis who actually have low stomach acid because this has been going on so long that the cells of the stomach, those parietal cells that produce acid, have actually atrophied themselves. So we don't want long-term inflammation. This can really impact digestion, and in addition to that, it impacts the absorption of so many important vitamins and minerals that our body needs. So things like B12 especially. The consequences of not absorbing B12 are very significant. If we can't absorb B12, this impacts our ability to detoxify and methylate, which is important for gene expression. And if we don't methylate properly, this leads to increased levels of homocysteine in the body, which can lead to inflammation, specifically in our blood vessels, increasing our risk for heart disease, stroke, and things like dementia. So we need to absorb that B12. We need acid to absorb B12, so we can't have long-term inflammation damaging the cells that produce acid. Now you might be thinking, well, acid probably isn't good during gastritis if that's the case. If we don't have atrophy of the parietal cells and there's some other root cause of inflammation, of course, of course, that's, that's what we want to avoid, excess acid production. But we don't want to hinder 
regular acid production, if you're following this. So too much acid, yes, is bad, but no acid is also very bad. So we want to make sure that we're not just going in and treating by lowering stomach acid if we don't understand the full picture of what's going on in the gut. When diagnosing gastritis, your doctor may look at diagnostic tests, including things like an endoscopy. They might do blood tests to check for signs of anemia, including a physical examination and a medical history. I've done an endoscopy before. Um, It is where they stick a flexible tube with a camera into the stomach and that way they can really see the lining directly and what they're looking for is they're looking for inflammation they're looking for atrophy and they may even be taking a biopsy for a bacteria like we talked about called h pylori conventional treatment for gastritis so we'll kind of talk through a common scenario you go to your doctor they do their endoscopy they find that you do have gastritis And they might tell you some pretty basic nutrition stuff, avoid spicy foods, lifestyle, avoid smoking, don't drink alcohol. And then typically what they'll prescribe includes anti-inflammatory meds, maybe like aspirin or ibuprofen, which we've now learned can actually aggravate gastritis. And they might also advise things like proton pump inhibitors, which reduce the stomach acid. But remember, stomach acid is so important And for some patients, reducing stomach acid is not what they need. Stomach acid is a necessary part of the innate immune system, and stomach acid kills off harmful ingested pathogens. So this doesn't mean that I'm opposed to using proton pump inhibitors. It might be necessary for stomach acid reduction be done, at least for a short period of time. My biggest issue is that Doctors are providing proton pump inhibitors, acid-reducing medications, as a long-term solution. And if you look at the research, especially there was a research study published in gut, and they looked at massive meta-analysis, finding that the use of PPIs long-term with profound acid suppression actually worsened atrophic gastritis. They showed the risk of gastric cancer increased by 43% among proton pump inhibitor users. This is just one part of the problem with PPIs. PPIs reduce intake of so many important things like calcium, magnesium, which are so important for our body and optimal health, especially gut health. So long-term use of these medications is where I have a problem, and I've done episodes on this, so I'm not going to go off on another rant on those. Now, In my practice, I try to take a much more holistic approach and address the root cause, helping to promote overall digestive health. When I work one-on-one with patients or in our group coaching program, we focus on immune health, hormone balance, lifestyle, and we might use testing, things like the GI map, to address every possible system that could be contributing to symptoms. Common tests that we use in our practice might include blood work. This is really meant to screen for common nutrient deficiencies and complications that could be associated with immune function. So we're looking for things like vitamin D. And we also might be looking for complications that are secondary to hypochlorhydria or low stomach acid. So B12, iron, complete metabolic panel or complete blood count 
these things can really help us look to see baseline. We can learn a lot from, from blood work. The second test that we often will use is the GI map, which is the stool test, which utilizes PCR technology to detect and quantify the growth of different microbes that could be contributing to an imbalanced level of bacteria in the gut. It also looks at absorption, digestion, inflammation, immune function, secretory IgA in the gut, and it's also really great for screening for H. pylori and H. pylori virulence factors. The food allergy testing side of things is also really important. So I'll have my clients meet with an allergist and make sure that they rule out any potential food, food allergies. And then we might also do things like a hair mineral analysis or organic acid test might be important based on family history or health history or other symptoms that may come up for that client. Now that you understand all about gastritis, testing, diagnosis, symptoms, things like that, I'm going to tell you some of the general recommendations that are often incorporated into a plan to support a client with gastritis. Starting with dietary changes, I'm sure you're not surprised that as a dietitian, this is the first thing that I'm going to talk about, but it is also incredibly powerful. Adopting a very nutrient-rich whole foods diet and minimizing processed foods as much as possible is going to be really important for promoting reduced inflammation in the entire body but also in the gut. When you look at your plate, you should see colors. There should be fruits, there should be different vegetables. You should be eating a wide diversity of plant foods. And the reason for this is because these foods contain powerful antioxidants, phytochemicals, polyphenols, which all help to reduce inflammation in the body, fight free radicals, and support the beneficial bacteria that live in the gut. Now, if you have SIBO or you have some underlying condition, it's really hard to keep these general recommendations for yourself because more fiber might make your symptoms worse or contribute to overgrowth. But these are general recommendations for people that don't have these specific overgrowths that need to be treated in a systematic targeted way. Omega-3s become incredibly important for gut lining support. So we might include a supplement if you're not eating at least two, three servings of high fat wild caught fish per week, like salmon, omega-3s are essential for reducing inflammation in the body. You can't make these fats. You have to get them through the diet or you can take a supplement. So oftentimes we might supplement with a higher EPA omega-3 fat. We might also supplement with things like L-glutamine or zinc, which are really important nutrients for the mucosal lining. There are certain herbs and supplements, things like teas, aloe vera, chamomile tea, turmeric, either in supplement or tea form, curcumin, which have been shown to have anti-inflammatory properties and may also support digestive health. My all-time favorite class of herbs for any sort of inflammation in any part of the gut lining are what's known as demulsin herbs. So demulsin herbs are marshmallow, slippery elm, they are high in mucilage, and this mucilage may be advantageous for people with gastritis because the slippery nature actually soothes and irritates the mucous membranes of the digestive tract. So these can be found in powder form. There's a supplement on full script that we might use. It's called GI Revive. It's got the L-glutamine. It's got zinc, things like vitamin C, which can also help to fight free radicals and support eradication of H. pylori. 
So blends of these different herbs can actually be pretty powerful for patients who are looking to manage symptoms and reduce inflammation. Of course, you always have to speak with your doctor because if you're pregnant or breastfeeding or you're on certain medications, you want to make sure that there's no contraindication. Probiotics and probiotic-rich foods may also have a place either as a supplement or in your diet, depending on what's going on in your body. But research shows that certain strains, specifically strains like the lactobacillus and bifido strains, which are the two strains that I created in my broad-spectrum probiotic that I just developed, and the yeast-based probiotic Saccharomyces boulardii, have all been effectively used with conventional eradication therapy protocols specifically for things like H. pylori. So probiotics, they generally support the immune system, the gut mucosal integrity lining, and those probiotics can be helpful for eradication of harmful bacteria like H. pylori. Supplements. Now diet, probiotic-rich foods, sauerkraut, kimchi, miso, kefir, yogurts with added probiotics, these can be great sources in the diet as well to help support the gut, the gut lining, and the immune system. Intake of cruciferous vegetables, so things like cabbage, broccoli, sprouts, kale. I put broccoli sprouts in my smoothies, and I swear to you, it is one of the most powerful things that you can do. If you've listened to my episode with Dr. Jed Fahey, he is an excellent researcher, and we talked all about the benefits of broccoli, broccoli sprouts, sulforaphane. It's a powerful compound, and These cruciferous vegetables as a whole contain powerful compounds that help to fight bacteria like H. pylori. There was a small 2019 case-controlled study done at a cancer center in New York where they recruited patients with stomach cancer, and they found that those with the highest intakes of cruciferous vegetables had the lowest odds of stomach cancer. In experimental studies... Cruciferous vegetables have been shown to possess anti-carcinogenic properties and have been associated with reduced odds of various cancers, including stomach, lung, breast, bladder, gastric, colorectal, and prostate. So really, there's no reason to not be including these in your diet unless you have some sort of bacterial overgrowth like SIBO where these are exacerbating your symptoms, and there's so many ways that you can naturally incorporate them in. They are a powerhouse of nutrients with phytochemicals and fiber and vitamin C, which helps to fight H. pylori. They support liver detoxification. So roast your Brussels sprouts with some maple syrup and balsamic glaze. You can do roasted broccoli with Parmesan cheese on top. There's unbelievably delicious ways to cook these vegetables, I promise. And if there's one that you don't like, chances are there is another one that you could potentially enjoy. The broccoli sprouts are super easy to incorporate into smoothies. That's something that I love. I'll put them in both mine and Jordan's smoothies and you cannot taste them at all. Freezing them actually increases the sulforaphane content significantly, which is that powerhouse nutrient that supports detox, gut inflammation, cancer protection, you name it. So we will make a big batch of them and then put them in the freezer. I've had a few clients who have found these small studies of rapid healing peptic ulcers with cabbage juice And I will say that they did claim that they felt better after doing this. Now, I caution this because especially with juicing, if you are sensitive to FODMAP, 
you are going to feel a lot worse if you add in a very concentrated source of these types of carbohydrates. Not to mention, as you can imagine, juice cabbage tastes horrible. So just thought I would bring that up. I thought that was kind of a funny story. Some of my clients went through that and really suffered. But again, some of them did find success. And it's likely due to those compounds in the cruciferous vegetables. Managing stress is absolutely key. I work with busy moms. I work with CEOs. I'm not saying that you need to go spend an hour at a spa every week. What I'm saying is that if your nervous system is chronically in fight or flight mode, it is going to be, I would say, impossible to heal. Inflammation, stress, directly related, both in the gut and in the entire body. Stress really is the silent killer. So stress management could look like learning how to breathe better throughout the day, learning how to relax your shoulders throughout the day when you're in a meeting or when your kids are screaming at you or trying to spend less time on your phone at the end of the day and finding a better way to get some you time once you put your kids to sleep, right? So there are a lot of different tools, whether it's talk therapy or breathing or yoga or saying no to things that would classify as stress management for you. But really working on nervous system support is going to be important. For me, something as simple as turning on a song, like a song that makes me really happy while I'm doing client notes or researching something, putting like healing frequencies on Spotify, it seems really simple, but it can make a huge difference in the trajectory of my stress levels throughout the day. I didn't talk about this when I talked about diet, but avoiding trigger foods is really important. Now, if you have a food sensitivity that is clearly known, maybe it's dairy or soy, or maybe it's randomly carrots, whatever it is, if you feel like your symptoms get worse when you eat it, it's best to try eliminating it during going through a protocol or for a short period of time while you work on the root cause. You should also get tested for food allergies. If you have an allergy, I always recommend clients meet with an allergist and make sure they get a proper diagnosis. Other foods that are commonly triggered for inflammation would be lots of refined sugar. So if you're eating a lot of candy or drinking sodas, high fat meats, so things like bacon, processed meats, things like deli meats, those contain compounds that can potentially be irritating to the gut lining. Fried foods, I think we all know they shouldn't make up the majority of the diet, but really just cleaning those up while you're struggling with inflammation. Foods that are very high in fat um, in general can be tough to digest and can increase stomach acid greater than a meal that is moderate in fat. Usually that would encompass things like fried foods and those high fat meats, so that kind of falls under the same category. Tomatoes, citrus fruits, carbonated beverages, and spicy foods. So I posted a, a kind of a list on this the other day on Instagram and someone commented and they were like, so basically just live a really depressing, sad life. And I totally get it. I mean, I was on an incredibly restrictive diet back in the day and Part of that is actually what motivated me to create my cookbooks because I got so creative with my food because of how limited I was. 
So yes, it is. it can be really challenging if you're someone who loves spicy foods um, like ramen and you love your processed meats and a nice turkey sandwich. Um, it can be really hard to, to make these changes and it can seem really overwhelming. But I would really encourage you to look at different types of spices and herbs that are not irritating. Things like turmeric and ginger and all of the Italian herbs like oregano, thyme, basil, um, seasonings like coconut aminos or using nut butters and honey, raw honey to create like a sauce. Um, you know, there's a lot of options out there. And as a dietitian, this is, this is really what I do for patients is I help them come up with ideas to make food taste good, especially if they have to be on a somewhat limited diet. And of course, the goal is always to add these foods back in. You know, we want these foods to come back into play. We want to keep the diet as broad as possible. And knowing that it's not forever can sometimes help clients get through it. And it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't mean you can never have lemon or you can never have tomatoes. It just means these foods that may be irritants for you cannot make up the majority of your diet if you want to heal. And then the last is not a food specifically, but the timing of your meals and the way that you're eating. It's really important to focus on eating slowly. Helps you to break down food properly in your mouth. We secrete alpha amylase, which breaks down starches and carbs in our mouth. Making sure that you're eating smaller meals versus eating very large meals. And I often see this with patients if they come in and they're eating a super small breakfast, they're barely getting a lunch in because they're working through lunch, and then they go home at the end of the day and they're eating their largest meal right before they sit down or lie down, and then a few hours later they're going to bed. So try to focus on consistency with the volume of your foods throughout the day. Chew your food to applesauce consistency. Don't eat while standing up in a stressed state. Try to sit down, eliminate distractions, and get your body out of a fight or flight mode before you try to give your body fuel, right? Just thinking about that physiologically, being in a stressed state and trying to digest and absorb nutrients, it just doesn't align with our physiology. So do your best to prioritize the way that you eat. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed the information and learned a lot about gastritis. I'm super excited to announce the launch of my new supplement line to support gut health. It includes two probiotics, a stress support supplement, and a broad spectrum enzyme to help optimize digestion. All of the ingredients are evidence-based, clinically studied, and all of my products are lab tested. These are things that are so important to me. I've been working for over a year on this, and I've developed these supplements specifically based on what I've seen in my practice over the years of areas that most of my clients need more support with. I received a direct message on Instagram the other day. And this customer said, Erin, your digestive enzymes are life-changing. I ate gluten, a lot of it, for the first time in a while on Thanksgiving, and I was totally fine. No bloating, no discomfort or constipation. Thank you so much for creating these. To learn more about each of the supplements or to place an order, you can go to nutritionrewired.com and you'll see a little chat bubble on the right side of the screen that if you have any questions at all about a product or whether it's a good fit for you, I'm the one answering those messages, so feel free to reach out anytime. So thanks for tuning in, and as always, don't forget to share the health.